0: What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Monday, June the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, things continue to stay testy between Rashad Jones and the Dolphins. We'll get the latest on the team's legendary safety and his tenure possibly coming to an end. Plus, Minka Fitzpatrick earns high praise from a national outlet, Jason Harina's playoff qualification bet, Miami's QBs and beer chugging skills, and the Albert Wilson charting project is finally done. We're going to cover all of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the Himalaya Podcast app Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Check out lockedondolphins.com. The entirety of the Albert Wilson project up on the site. It is the most in-depth detail you'll find on any Dolphins receiver out there. I promise you that much. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I haven't talked to you guys in two days. That means I have a lot on my mind. Let's go ahead and jump right in. And first down today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. And the news came out Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, that the Dolphins would prefer to trade disgruntled, want-away safety Rashad Jones. And before we get to that report from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, I ran a poll on Twitter, I think it was last Thursday, asking about how big of a deal do you think it is that Rashad Jones is not there for voluntary OTAs? Keyword, voluntary. And 65% said no big deal, 35% said big deal. So there's some discrepancy there between the fan base and they agree that Jones's absence isn't a big deal However, the Dolphins don't feel the same way. Jones' agent, Joel Siegel, declined to answer when asked via text messages if Rashad Jones would like to be traded and also if he's going to be there for mandatory minicamp, which kicks off on Tuesday. Now, Jones, as Jackson writes, has a $17.2 million cap hit if he's on the team, but he's not expected to be part of the Dolphins' long-term future. We've known that for some time now. It makes a lot of sense that he wouldn't be there, but the Dolphins would eat $17.1 million of dead money and would only save $100,000 in cap savings if they cut him, not to mention 11 of his $13.1 million base salary this season is guaranteed. Not good news for the Dolphins to move on via a cut. So will he be traded? That's what Barry Jackson says the Dolphins want to do. Kind of in the same vein as Ryan Tannehill and Robert Quinn, as Jones, who is coming off a shoulder surgery, could get traded while the Dolphins take on some of that salary to ease the blow for the new team that he is traded to. And Jackson writes in detail about some of the reasons the Dolphins might be inclined to trade the longtime Pro Bowl safety for the Miami Dolphins. And one, it goes back to last season, and we've talked about it on the podcast multiple times here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, that Jones basically quit on his team in what was supposed to be a rotation day to get Minka Fitzpatrick more comfortable at the safety position. And Jones refused to go back into the game saying that he wanted to play every single snap. And I get that. But at the same time, he quit on his team. But at age 31, at the high salary and the determination that he's likely not a long-term piece, as Jackson writes here, the Dolphins would love to go ahead and move on from him, especially after his absences from the last couple of days, or last couple of weeks, rather, at voluntary OTAs. So the injury concerns, the high, gaudy salary, the fact that he wasn't there for his teammates, and the fact that his play has kind of declined in recent years are all good reasons for that. A player whose play has not declined is Minka Fitzpatrick, and Jackson has some notes in here that we're going to come back and talk about. But I want to give my take on this in terms of the Rashad Jones situation. Why would Brian Flores even want him around? Frankly, I kind of feel like I'm divulging a Dolphin secret here That you might not know unless you study this team every single day the way we do on the podcast each and every day. Gotta get that mentioned in there. Let's track how many times Flores and Greer have mentioned guys that prioritize football, good teammates, and good communicators as three of the main aspects they look for in acquiring new football players. Those are all elements of being here for the OTAs, even though they are voluntary. You can go back to the pre-Combine media availability. They mentioned it then at the veteran minicamp pre-draft period. They mentioned it then at rookie minicamp. They talked about it again and they reiterated it again at OTAs the last couple of weeks. That's four times on the offseason calendar that Brian Flores or Chris Greer mentioned. They want good teammates, good communicators, and above all, guys that prioritize the game of football. Is Jones prioritizing football by not being out there? I don't think he is. Lastly, Flores continues to refer to these private conversations he's had with Jones, but as Barry Jackson says, they're trying to preserve Rashad's trade value, and I think there's something to that in the way they refer to Rashad Jones not being out there and how they've had those private conversations. Maybe they aren't going that well. So my final takeaway is this. Take whatever you can get for Rashad Jones this year. We're not trying to win a championship this season. He's not likely to be back next year, so why mess with a malcontent in that nature? What does it do for you? The most important aspects of the 2019 season, aside from young player development, but that's part of this, is building the program and culture into a sustainable, well-oiled machine and messing with the mechanics of that are not even close to worth it for the minimal production you get added by Rashad Jones over a player like TJ McDonald, who at this stage of their career aren't really that far apart and McDonald comes at a fraction of the cost. The Dolphins parted away with their longest tenured player this offseason, Cam Wake, their longest tenured offensive player in Ryan Tannehill, and now it's time to do the same with the remaining longest tenured Dolphin. If Rashad Jones isn't at practice on Tuesday, I think we'll have our answer right there. And on tomorrow's podcast, we'll preview the things to look for at mandatory minicamp, which kicks off on Tuesday the 4th and runs through Thursday the 6th. Whether it's Rashad Jones, Preston Williams, we'll have you guys caught up on the things to look for at practice before the long wait and the long summer before training camp gets here at the end of July. Let's go ahead and stay in the secondary here. And talk about a defensive back who was on the other end of the fan approval spectrum. And that leads us right in to the USA Today piece by Doug Farrar talking about the 11 best slot defenders in the National Football League. Number one was Chris Harris for the Broncos. Number two, Kenny Moore for the Indianapolis Colts. Number three, Bryce Callahan for the Chicago Bears. And number four is your own Minka Fitzpatrick from our Miami Dolphins. And I mean, not to toot my own horn here, And you guys are certainly making it known that we are the best source of Dolphins information as we have surpassed a half million downloads for the year already. But we had this story or this statistical projection or statistical data I should say months ago and I guess that's how it goes everybody catches up eventually but the piece talks about the greatness of Minka Fitzpatrick in his first year but also going back to Alabama when he was the star back basically the position that drives Nick Saban's defense in that secondary and he's been a he's basically been productive in that position throughout his college career and now one year into the NFL where he played all over the formation we've covered that many times but as a slot cornerback the opposition completes a passer rating of 53.4 on Minka Fitzpatrick he allowed just 20 slot receptions on 39 targets for 20 or 200 yards rather and one touchdown and two picks that's a ton to put on Minka Fitzpatrick's plate but he does it with the best in the business and that's why I think he can be one of the best cornerbacks in the league this year in that slot position and we'll talk about breakout candidates on tomorrow's podcast, but Barry Jackson going back to his piece talking about Rashad Jones refers to Minka Fitzpatrick's versatility using Bobby McCain back in that position and how Fitzpatrick played 66% of his snaps in the slot last year. And from this article, Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus says that Miami's interest in moving Fitzpatrick to safety or a hybrid role is unwarranted because safety isn't nearly as valuable as cornerback, outside, or in the slot. And he's already on track to be one of the best players in the league at that position. You go back to his PFF grades at Alabama. He played 66.3% of his snaps in college at that position with a 90.5 coverage grade in the slot the highest ever recorded since 2014 among the 93 Power 5 defenders with 400 or more slot coverage snaps. So Minka Fitzpatrick is in very, very high regard. He's thought that way across the league by analytics folks, by tape folks. I just think this guy has a chance to really take the roof off of his career and be a superstar in the league. And I think the rest of the league might start to catch up to that this season. But one thing that people are not yet caught up on is the full breakdown of Albert Wilson's first year as a Miami Dolphin, albeit only a half of a year, and how good and bad he was at certain times. We're going to get that to you next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast on the other side, on Twitter, at Wingfield NFL, and the show, at Locked On Fins. The impending... Departure of Rashad Jones brings up the idea or at least it does for me about the longest tenured Miami Dolphins on the roster right now as this offseason has been a purge of those long standing players on the roster like Cam Wake who's been here since 2009 he is now gone Ryan Tannehill was here since 2012 he is gone Rashad Jones also was added in 2009 and if he goes that leaves the Dolphins longest tenured list As follows, John Denny, 14 years, of course, the long snapper is a bit different than the rest of the players on the roster. But then after Denny, there is a major drop-off in years of service as Walt Aikens, the special team's ace, has been here for five years. Bobby McCain, Rashad Jones as possible replacement, has been here for four years. Kenny Stills, four years. Devonte Parker, four years. And Mike Hole, four years. And there's a big tie for three years of service with the Miami Dolphins. So this group of players, it's, it's going to be pretty much not your grandfather's Dolphins, a brand new crop of guys as things overturn. And one of the guys the Dolphins hope is part of that long-term plan, that long-term success type of plan, sustained success is Albert Wilson, and finally, after weeks of talking about it, the piece up on lockedondolphins.com is live right now. Miami's Mr. Versatile, Albert Wilson, the guy who carried the football out of the backfield. He played in line to the line of scrimmage. He played in the slot. He played out wide. He did everything. I have 28 videos from his six and a half games up in the thread on the Twitter account Dolphins QB Gifs. I know he's not a QB, but he did throw a 52-yard touchdown pass. So maybe he is in that category as well. But we look at some of the in-depth stats behind Wilson's season, and I wanted to look at some of his depth splits, where he lined up. That was the most important thing to me, to get an idea for what this coaching staff is going to ask him to do moving forward. Because the truth of the matter is, almost all of his targets were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and even further, within 5 yards, and even beyond that... At the line of scrimmage or within two yards, he is basically a glorified running back that catches passes and breaks tackles right away. He averaged 0.47 broken tackles per touch. So every other time he touches a football, he breaks a tackle. His average depth per target was 6.26 yards. Of his 35 targets, only seven of them were beyond 10 yards. So he is definitely a close to the line of scrimmage receiver that should benefit from the scheme that really magnifies players with those strengths. He ran 103 routes last year, took on 35 targets. So about one third of the routes he ran, he got a target. He averaged 10.2 yards per target, a very good number in the National Football League. You want to be right around seven or eight in that regard. His yards per reception total, 13.7. We know how good that is. And he averaged 12 yards per touch as a receiver and as a ball carrier. He broke 16 tackles in six and a half games. Now he ran a multitude of routes from a multitude of alignments. The most prominent route he ran was the over route where you come from one side of the formation and you work across behind the linebackers under the safeties. That's an over route on that play. He was only one for two on, or he caught one of two targets for 25 yards. His most successful routes were drags and screens. Drags are when you get off line scrimmage and you basically make your way horizontally across the field in a one to three yard window trying to beat guys with speed. He caught of those 10 drags, five of the five targets for 32 yards. He caught all nine of his nine attempted screen passes for 79 yards and a touchdown. The go route was not successful. He tried it nine times. The Dolphins tried to target him three times out of those nine and went 0 for 3. In-breaking routes are really where he made his money. The square in, he ran it six times. That's a five-yard in route where you release out, and cut back in across the cornerback's face. Those six routes resulted in one target, but he caught it for 29 yards and a touchdown in that Jets game back in week number two. On the hookup route, which is basically where you attack zone coverage and try to find soft spots in the middle of the linebackers in that zone coverage, he had four routes as a hookup route, one for one for the quarterback, 75 yards and a touchdown. That, of course, was the Brock Osweiler Bears game touchdown where he tied the game late in the fourth quarter there. On pop passes, the little shovels on jet sweeps, two for two with 80 yards and a touchdown, one of those being the Raiders game. I have a bunch more routes with the stats up on there as well, as well as routes that he ran that didn't get targets like a post, a speed out, a seam route, a pivot route, tons of information on that. Now, the most interesting part to me was the man versus zone and the press versus off. Coverage splits, which tells you what kind of receiver Albert Wilson is, and I talked about it in his weaknesses. He really struggles to get off press coverage and to get clean releases off the line of scrimmage. He's not the most nuanced and the most technical receiver in that regard, and that to me is why he's not a true number one receiver because you have to be able to do that to be matchup proof, to beat every single cornerback you face, but also to beat press coverage when the team wants to take you out of the game. Against press coverage, he ran a whole bunch of routes, but only. Only got targeted eight times. Caught five of them for 76 yards. But that's basically shutting him down whenever you want to with press coverage. Against off coverage, they targeted him 25 times. He caught it 19 for 232 yards. And all four of his touchdowns came against off coverage. Against man coverage, 12 of 17 targets were caught. 164 yards, two touchdowns. But against zone, 13 of 15 targets were caught for 225 and two touchdowns there as well. As far as his pre-snap alignments, outside the numbers, a plus split, seven for 11 with 110 yards and one touchdown. You go with a minus split, which is inside the numbers, basically the slot position, 11 for 14 with 231 yards and three touchdowns. I have stats for stacked, nasty, plus-plus splits, all the information you want on the article. The one, two, three alignments, your one is the guy split furthest out to either side of the formation. So whether it's the bounce or the field if you're the furthest guy out you're the one the next guy in is the two the next guy in is the three and at the one position he was 13 for 22 with 152 yards and a touchdown but from the two he was four for four from the three he was six for nine And they went 114 and 115 on the yardage there with two touchdowns and one touchdown. So all this is to say that Albert Wilson is far better when he works inside the formation from the slot, from a tight split, and it gets him free releases against zone or man coverage. That's where you want to go. That's his strength. He's one of the best receivers running with the football after the catch in the entire National Football League. That lower body strength, he's built like a freaking house, gives him excellent contact balance, change of direction, and sprinter speed. When he went down in week seven, he was the NFL's leader in yards after catch, yards after contact, and he was truly the focal point of the Dolphins' offense. I talked about the weaknesses already. So we go forward to the conclusion of the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the snapshot for 2019. I think that he is a perfect fit for this offense as a primary number two in the offense. The Dolphins are still lacking that number one, but a guy that can take the pop pass on jet sweeps, carry the football from the backfield, Factor into the game and the screen game and provide a quality underneath option on those critical third downs. Those are all Wilson's calling cards. Those are all calling cards of this offense. And I think that Chad O'Shea would be wise, and I think he will, to devise plans for for Albert Wilson specifically, and maybe not play him the 90% of the snaps that we want to see. Maybe give him 75% of the workload. Keep him fresh, keep him engaged, and keep him getting targets when he is on the field because he can change the game, as we saw multiple times last year, with one touch of the football. I'm very excited about what he can be if the hip can get healthy. I'm very concerned about that. Frankly, it wouldn't surprise me to see him begin the year on PUP because that hip injury... I think it's a little more serious than we all originally thought, especially without surgery. That rehab scares me. Going back to the Ryan Tannehill situation, I think all of us are weary of non-surgically repaired muscle tissue or whatever it might be getting repaired for long-term future. But Albert Wilson has a big role on this offense. He's here under contract for two more years. I think the Dolphins got to find out what exactly he is, how healthy he is, and how big of a factor he can be as a complementary piece in this offense. Okay, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast after this quick word from Untuck It. And thanks to Untuck It for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. If you're looking for a great Father's Day gift idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable, whether it's at work or on the weekend, at happy hour or in your cubicle, no tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code MBA to get 20% off your first order with Untuck It. Beer chugging is all the rage these days for quarterbacks. As you know, we are in the dearth of the offseason when all we can talk about is Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen's ability to chug a beer. And it gets me thinking, how would these Dolphins quarterbacks stack up in a beer chugging contest And I'm really not sure which one I think could do a better job of it because if you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick at 38 years old with the beard, the Harvard education, you have to get that in every time you mention Ryan Fitzpatrick. But he looks like a guy that enjoys himself a craft brew as he has the ultimate hipster look. But I also think he's smarter than to adhere to normal hipster norms. So maybe he's not that guy. We know he loves birthday cake. We know he's a super smart guy but I get the feeling that Ryan Fitzpatrick can put the beers down. But now on the other side of the coin, Josh Rosen is a bro's bro, the hot tub story at UCLA, the fact that they had the beer pong table going and that he was basically a golden child and your typical frat guy in college at UCLA. But who is the better beer drinker? I can just see Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing back IPAs like nobody's business as the rest of these quarterbacks are drinking Bud Light and Coors Light and Miller Light. I bet Fitzpatrick can put down some heavy, dark IPA as well as these youngsters can, these light beers. That's my bet. We'll see if we find out. I doubt we do, but I hope we do because beer chugging quarterbacks is all the rage this summer. And one thing that is not all the rage is are the Miami Dolphins playoff prospects. And Jason Harina, our staff editor, my right-hand man at LockedOnDolphins.com, wrote on the LockedOnDolphins.com page on, I think it was Friday, about Miami's playoff odds and how he is betting on the Dolphins to make the playoffs. Because, frankly... Their odds are plus eleven hundred to make the playoffs. Now, what that means is you bet hundred bucks, you're gonna win eleven hundred bucks on the Dolphins to make the playoffs. So your odds are basically 10.1 to one if you do cash in that ticket. Jason himself said he bet 50 bucks to cash in the $650 that would be if my math checks out. It's probably not right. $550 he would win on a $50 bet for the Dolphins making the playoffs. To miss the playoffs, the Dolphins are minus $2,500, which that's not a good bet if you know Vegas odds. That means you have to bet $2,500 to win $100. So obviously the advantage is on the Dolphins missing the playoffs. But Jason talks about this bottom portion of the conference and the lack of the parity up top, but how the bottom portion has constant turnover. As you go back over the last several years, back to 2011, the average playoff turnover in the AFC is 2.38 teams. In the NFC, it's 3.25 teams. So literally more than half the teams turnover every single year. But in the AFC, there's turnover every single year. Four teams last year, three in 2017, and two each of the years prior to that back to 2012. So Jason's taking the idea that the Dolphins could be one of these surprise teams that pops up every single year in that sixth seed and scoots into the playoffs. Check it out. It's up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And this might be kind of more of the norm going forward on the podcast for the next couple of months because it is the dead period of the offseason. We're talking about betting on... Prop prop bets for 2019. We're talking about quarterbacks chugging beer. I mean, can we just blast the months of June and July into the sun entirely? I mean, I'm willing to sacrifice one-sixth of my life to get rid of these dreadful months. Yeah, getting out on the water is fun, but the rest of the time is basically miserable. 100 degrees, a sweaty mess with no good sports on TV. And let's be real, what else is there to life than sports? All the good TV shows are on the off season and it used to be movie season, blockbuster movie season, but movies are god awful these days as everything is a remake or a Marvel production. Hell, even the podcasts I listen to are pretty much going away for the summer, but not us, not Locked on Dolphins. We're going to be with you guys here through this worst time of the calendar year. And we're going to be adding some non-Dolphins content to help ease that transition into the football season. Next week, we're going to begin an NFL camp preview as we'll spend the third segment on every show previewing one of the other divisions in the NFL eight consecutive days on the podcast for that. So check that out. We're also going to have some college football stuff for you, including my summer project, breaking down the film of Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Jake Fromm at Georgia, Justin Herbert at Oregon, Jordan Love at Utah State, and others that I deem necessary or deem worthy of that distinction. So don't fret. Locked on Dolphins has got you guys covered. As for today's show... That is going to be my time. I want to remind you guys about the new Himalaya podcast app. It is free, super easy to use, and it has every single podcast that you love or that you're searching for. They have personally curated playlists made just for you by our expert podcast tastemakers, themed collections of shows to help you with podcast discovery. You can follow these podcasts Listeners can follow their favorite shows and creators. You can like and comment, and listeners can like thumbs up and comment on individual episodes. They have shareable playlists. Find and download Himalaya on the App Store or Google Play Store. And don't forget to follow Locked on Dolphins Podcast once you are there. And please feel free to give us a rating and a review once you are there as well. And check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.